Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This week, Georgia Monroe explains her interest in music and how that relates to her parkour practice, as well as how she became interested in parkour. She discusses the challenges and goals she is working on before sharing her experiences with Motion Capture and Ninja Warrior. Georgia unpacks her thoughts on coaching, her personal journey of improving as a coach, and how coaching has affected her own parkour practice. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hi, everyone. I'm Georgia. Georgia Monroe is a professional art de placement and parkour athlete, coach, and performer. A coach with esprit concrete, she is passionate about movement and sharing the discipline. Georgia has competed in Ninja Warrior UK, done work for various films and video games, and enjoys several creative hobbies in addition to parkour and ADD. Welcome, Georgia. Thank you for having me, Craig. Georgia, it strikes me that you have a couple of different creative hobbies, uh, like sewing and piano and other things. And I always think it's interesting to ask people, how do those hobbies inform their movement practice? Oh, <laughs> that is a hard one. So looking at the hobbies I do, so it's kind of a hard one because I've never really thought about how it informs my practice. I think music definitely has had a big effect mm-hmm. um, in my practice. So not not so much. I think that's just generally I enjoy making things. Um, but music, it's something that I've always been around. So ever since, you know, always going to school and stuff like that, my dad always playing certain songs and my mom always playing music. There was always music around me. And then going into school, started to play piano. I really enjoyed the piano. It was everywhere. So I started playing that, starting to learn classical music. And then I started studying it in school. So I think it's definitely given me a sort of a beat or a pattern to kind of follow. When I'm doing movement or when I'm flowing or anything I do, I always find a beat in my movement or a rhythm. I feel this is something that's just because I've always been around music. I've always enjoyed dancing. I've always enjoyed playing piano. So I've always been used to following a rhythm, following a pattern. Mm. And that in turn's actually helped me a lot with even executing moves and getting the timing to the point where I can use the move most efficiently. So in a jump, knowing when to take off in certain movements like Kongs and stuff, knowing when I need to pull, when I need to push, they all have their own patterns and their own rhythms to follow. And especially when you're doing flow as well, you have this kind of rhythm you start to follow. It can be fast-paced, it can be slow, but either way, sometimes I've even been making sounds, or the sounds Mm. I make, I'm listening to them as a rhythm. So I think definitely in terms of music as a hobby, that's informed me in the way that it gives me a a rhythm to follow in my movement, and it allows me to construct movement or time certain things to rhythm. And that just helps me relax as well. Have you ever thought about, does it work the other way too? Like, have you discovered that your movement practice has changed the way you perform music? I don't know if you're writing for the piano, but mm. has it changed the way that you experience playing? Hmm. No, that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, well, to start off, I never learned to read music. Um, I played, or I learned to play by my, I self-taught by just listening to right. sounds mm-hmm. and then learning them yeah so 
in that sense, it's helped me practice muscle memory or, or at least practice. Yeah. There's a certain eye hand coordination and right? yeah, but in general as well, also just memorizing pattern and memorizing mm-hmm. beats and memorizing this. And I think that's also helped then in the sense of when I learn something new, then I take that or I find it easy to memorize that thing in that time. So I find it quite easy to uh, pick up on things quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the terms of it changing my music or changing the way I play, I can't see any link to it, or at least I haven't thought about it. It's definitely something to think about, actually. I definitely can see music going into, or how I play music going into how I perform move. or how I move, mm-hmm. but not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just because I don't practice music as much as I do movement right. to see any changes. When you when you began parkour or, or at the plus one, depending on, like, I know when I started, I called it parkour, and then I mm, realized what so. I was actually doing, so the name, like, changed. But yeah. to me, it's like one long practice from my personal experience. But when you started your personal practice, can you remember what you were like before you, and I don't know if, you, I don't know if it's like found it, got shown it, somebody drug it, like whatever the moment was, but can you remember what you were like before you found your movement practice that you have now? And, and of course, could mm. you tell me what that person was like compared to now? Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, this actually, this, well, I can remember a bit more since I recently found one of my diaries in my drawer. So a lot of my stuff is in my mom's house and I was going through it and I found this little crumpled diary mm-hmm. in the back of my drawer. So I started reading it. And actually, it was the points before and when I found parkour mm-hmm. when I started doing it. Um, <laughs> so I guess I can use some of that to help. So when I was, uh, first a little bit of history about my family, I started, oh, I grew up, um, I was daddy's girl. I grew up around two older brothers and they were both quite high performers in the sense of they were quite smart. They were very good in sports and things like this. So as the youngest, I wanted to aspire to be better than them or as strong as (laughs) them or anything like this. Yeah. Um, So I very much wanted to be, I wanted to compete with them or be at the same level at them in something. So uh, for me, I did a lot of different things, including music. Like anything I saw, I was like, oh, I want to do that thing now. I want to do that thing now. I'm going to pick up this thing. (laughs) So I ended up bouncing between so many things and so many sports and just anything I could get my hands on. I was very greedy mm-hmm. as a kid. So I just wanted lots of different things. Oh, there's football going on. I'm going to do that. There's rugby going on. I'm going to do this. There's music. I'm going to do that. There's performing. I'm going to do that. Um, and I just filled my time with lots of things, but I found it very hard to stick with something. Uh, so football would be the longest. Uh, my dad has loved football all his life. So I grew up around that and I wanted to do football. So I've been doing football since primary school up to secondary school. Then I started doing rugby. And for me, I think what changed with football was when you go into secondary school, people start finding their social identities and you start to have boundaries. So when I was younger, I didn't see myself, or at least in my eyes, I wasn't different to my brothers. Um, I felt like just the younger sibling and I need to, you know, be as strong as I need to work or I need to work to be as strong as them. And then when I went into secondary school, uh, girls started to follow social norms of what a girl is like boys started to do that and you started to have a lot of judgments on this so for me I was like why can't I play football and because a lot of the boys were doing it the girls weren't doing it so I started to feel a bit almost like in a weird no man's land in the sense of I didn't feel accepted by these group of people but at the same time 
I had this pressure from these group of people being like, oh, no, come do what we're doing. So I found it quite confusing at the time. And I think I started to get quite angry because then I started to feel like I wasn't allowed to almost do these things or it mm. wasn't ex- accepted to yeah, try and not, not strive Not there was an this. actual prohibition against it, yeah, but it's no like, one actually why told should there be me back no, pressure? But yeah. the pressure alone or the backlash or the kind of chat around it or mm. even the jokes around it was just like, it made me very angry, and I wrote this a lot in my little diary. Uh, there was like one whole page of ranting about why do they get this and I can't have this, and, and, and I, I gotta ask, like how old were you when yeah. you wrote that diary entry? I think I was like twelve or maybe thirteen. Okay, that's like, that's pretty. It's pretty old. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I was gonna say old. that's pretty advanced. Is the wrong word? That's pretty astute for a twelve-year-old to like bother to write that down. Mm. Most twelve-year-olds would have just ran it at their it's mom very, or something. And, I was very uh pro tip save yeah. that journal you will want to read that when you're 50 uh, it was definitely interesting to read but uh yeah I think I was very much this kind of person who wanted to be like a, a hero or wanted to be like the best of this I was very not driven in the sense of I'll put in loads of hours and loads of work I just wanted I wanted a lot and I wanted to be the best I could or the strongest I could. And I was very driven by that idea of finding greatness or finding uh, strength in things. So when I had that, I was very angry because I was like, no, I'm going to, I want to do this stuff and I want to do this stuff and I want to be accepted in this way. And I think when, so for me, when I found parkour and I remember the exact like moment or the the space that that was happening in. um, And that was, when my brother was on the internet, he was he was looking at videos and stuff, and he told me to come over. He's like, look at this, look at this, or at least I remember it this way. He said, look at this video, and I think it was a compilation of like parkour guys doing like stuff off the roof and stuff like this. And for me, that there was like a, oh, that's what I want to do. Mm. That's it, because uh, I was a gamer as well at the time, so I, I liked to play lots of games. I loved that stuff. It literally, I like to pick up hobbies that my brothers did. So they always played games. So I didn't have a, a PlayStation. So when I finally got my, like, I finally begged for one and I got one on Christmas. So I was playing it a lot. And two games in particular were Mirror's Edge and Assassin's Creed. But at the time, it's still like, oh, yeah, that's just what they do. That's really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not real. So when I saw the video, I was like, oh, so it is. It is a thing. And I'd never seen movement like that before everything was always either you know you're in um, a field you had certain limits you had certain rules you had to be this person only on your team and all these kind of limits for me and then I saw that I was just like Mm. I want to do that (laughs) I was just like yeah I want to do that and then it was kind of like I think my brother said something along the lines of you you can't do that like these guys are really strong it's something to say like it's not within your reach so obviously, which I'm guessing is exactly the correct thing to say to Georgia when you wanted to go after it, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> saying I couldn't do something, I was just like, I'm going to do it now. Yeah, yep. What so time, that, what that time was dinner. Yeah. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'll right. be right back. <laughs> so, um, and then for me, that changed. I was just like, I want to do this, and always at the start of something I find new, there's a lot of like motivation and stuff, and I really want to do this and stuff, but it usually dies out, right? So for but for this one, it was something that felt just out of reach always <laughs> with everything else you join a club you join the it's there at school you do it and you're doing it and that's it but for this it was always felt like it was just out of reach like to get to that point it was always just out of reach 
And I used to come back from school, I'd get on my kit and stuff like that. And then I'd watch like, um, and I think, oh, that was it. Damien Walters was one of my favorites at the mm. time. I was like, I want to be like him. He's so cool. So I used to watch like a video to inspire me after school. And then I'd go outside and like find a wall and scrape myself up <laughs> it and like try rails and stuff. Really <laughs> all sorts of random stuff I was trying. Um, <laughs> I loved face. it. I felt really, I don't know. I felt like a... <laughs> some sort of like renegade or something like some hero training and that's a common theme yeah. in a lot of people's experience of parkour yeah. and ADD is the the idea of like the personal freedom and then using that as mm-hmm. sort of as like throwing it back in society's face him yeah uh, so how did it all work out did you end up yeah. sticking with it yeah i did uh, <laughs> i don't know what let's is, see, what is hmm. parkour? yeah let's see movies motion capture coaching <laughs> is pretty i'm gonna go with and it didn't fade out so that's that's a yep, very interesting it ain't out anytime mm. soon. but uh yeah it i think it's always been because there's so much that it can offer and so much you just never quite reach i like the way it. you put it like it's yeah. just out of reach and i'm yeah. wondering um are there any things that you're currently struggling with? Oh, so much. <laughs> well, you always struggle with so much, and I think it's gotten more and more. Like when I was, when I, you first start, everything's fresh, everything's new. Yeah, the only goal fun. is to just turn up and you get on with it, turn and especially and classes, mm-hmm. you meet people. And now, when you start to find your footing, you start to see your character and your movement, you also see your insecurities. You also see the things that are harder than other things to do. You also see what your fears are. And facing your fears or seeing your fears you want to overcome them it's mm. scary and you, you don't want to but you want to at the same time so there's there's lots of things i struggle with and i think a lot of it comes from not even the movement itself it's not in the sense of that i go oh i really want to learn this thing today i want to learn that thing today of course those are little milestones but it's not so much that it's more so i know i'm not ready for this yet or i know i feel too scared to do this yet I want to not do that anymore. I want to be stronger than this. I want to manage this better. I want to have this characteristic. I want to build myself in this way. And kind of, you want to, well, for me personally, I want to build that image or find that image of myself that I know I can be, the, the best that I can be in the sense of mm-hmm. that, my own hero. It's, it's a weird one. You can't say there's like this one kind of character you want to be in parkour, but you know, the more you train, the more you see what you could Hmm. and then the more you want that so the more you struggle <laughs> it's like a slippery yeah. slope in the right direction or something yeah like. this is a very strange uh feeling because i was also thinking what what are my goals and they only go up to a year that like there's vivid ones but it's really hard to sometimes i don't know exactly why well, i have a question for you yeah what are your goals oh <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> um so many goals the i don't know what my end goals are i really can't piece them together i just know i want to keep moving it's really weird i want to keep moving and i want to move more uh i think for me my my shorter it's easier to see it in the shorter time goals um i think it's so hard (laughs) I think for me, my goals are to be able to have the confidence in myself to face the fears that I have, to manage them and also be okay to not fail. So my biggest 
fear for me as a person is fear of failure. As I said before, I always wanted lots of things. So I was very ambitious in that sense of, I want this, I want that. But not just that, I wanted to be the best in that. I wanted to win this, I wanted that. So right. I was very competitive. Um, and I very much enjoyed having things or getting things or being strong enough. So for me, the biggest fear as well was the fear of not getting that, the fear of failing, the fear of not getting that thing. But in the last, especially working with my team as well in the last two years, it start, I'm starting to see a different idea of what it is to fail for me, when I think of, I, or at least back then before I started to have a bit more of a conversation with this, was failure was I will never get there. So I was terrified, absolutely terrified of it. And I think that's also why I started to let go of things easily because I was like, ah, oh, I can't see myself being the best in this. So I'm going to find something else and be the best in that. And it's right. very easy for me to just go to something Lateral else. Pass. Move yeah. On, right? And I, I was a fast learner, so I could easily go right now I'm going to be really good at this be that but then as soon as I was met with a hurdle in which I was like ah I may not get this then I was like "Mm, Hmm. don't want to fail so I'll do something else and be good at that um but this is something that has very much become my life so the fear of failure is always there the fear Mm -hmm. that I might not get something or I might not be good this time or I might not be better this time or I may never get that other goals talking about this year terrifies me all the time and um I think that's kind of the biggest goal for me is to, one, to actually motivate myself to put myself in that risk of, I may not get there, but I sure as well will freaking try. And by trying, I mean really go for it. Um, not just half arsing it, not right. just kind of, oh, I'll put a little bit in and if it doesn't go, I'll go to plan B. But really go for something with the risk of it may not happen. I may not get there. I may not be the best I could be. I may not get that huge jump I really wanted to do that day, but to be okay with that and to still love myself for what I've accomplished, to know what I've accomplished, to know the support I have and to be confident in myself, still respect myself, even if I don't get there. Hmm. So I think it kind of pieces down to those qualities of, I want to be, yeah, (laughs) I want to be confident with myself and I want to learn to love myself regardless. Um, And also to, be able to have the courage to push myself in the face of failure, in the face of fear. <laughs> the next question that I have is when you're getting to that place of fear or terror and you decide, no, wait, I need to defeat this demon now. I need to, I need this level needs to be played. What is your self-talk or, or do you have habits or actions or like, how mm. do you, how do you actually face the fear and move forward figuratively and literally? Mm. there's always ones i'm like okay these are things um i mean i could ask you for really really easy questions if you (laughs) what day is it um Um, oh (laughs) what's your favorite song to play in the piano (laughs) Uh, i think trying to think of an experience when i'm when i'm scared of something it really isn't clear what's in my head or at least not now. It's still very much something I'm still practicing a lot and learning to talk to myself better. For me, when I'm met with fear, there's always two voices in my head. One that's trying to stop me or try to save uh, save me in a way. And then the other one that knows better, (laughs) that knows, um, whether I'm really capable or not. Um, 
And I always find it hard to distinguish the two sometimes. So coming from a place of still not very high confidence in myself, I second guess myself a lot. So I may go, ah, okay, I'm scared of this. I'm scared of this. Some days I'll know myself, ah, I know I'm scared of this, but I can do this. I can manage this. And I'll think of experiences. Other days I cannot remember another experience that's the same. (laughs) Um, And that's when those around me come in as well. And especially this is something that uh, Kister and Yao have been helping me a lot with is that this self-doubt that you hear in your head is so realistic sometimes. It could be like anything from, it's raining right now, I can't do this, or that is definitely not in my grasp. But perception is such a powerful thing mm-hmm. that sometimes you really can't get out of your head. You can't see that it is something that you're capable of and it becomes a reality. And I think that's when having those around you who know you, who know what you're capable of and have the courage um, to tell you that comes in a lot. Like if I didn't have the people I had around me to help me with this self, this second guessing, um, it'd be a much longer process for me. So I'm very like, I also have to thank that part of the process, those, those around me, because that offers me a, almost a mirror to myself to go, ah, ah, I'm doing this right now. I'm self-sabotaging mm-hmm. right now. Um, but generally for me, it helps to, take myself away from the the emotions that come up. So you're getting this anxiety, my hands sweat when I'm nervous, all these kind of things happen. Yeah. So um, to take myself out of that and to just see it as a body moving with the environment. So especially if it's uh, a jump that I know the, the very first moment that you, you step to the, the challenge or whatever it is, is a really important moment because it almost, tells you okay whether this is something you want or you don't want right is this something that you can do or you can't do and these questions all come in that tiny little moment so i'll something usually subconscious that sorts that out real quick and oh your brain's yeah like hey can we do oh we've already decided like yeah yeah <laughs> decisions already been made. exactly so you get this kind of mixture of and a lot of the time when it is something that i want to especially want to overcome is you get this mixture of fear and excitement so sometimes I'll start going, ooh, ooh, because I, I really, it's there. I want that. And then I'm also scared. Like there's this kind of, can I do this? Oh, but I really want to. I think I can. And it's almost like uh, the the sight of it becomes blurred with those thoughts because I then sometimes can't even tell if that's something in my capability or not. And then you make the decision. I guess you make the decision at that very first point. Are you going to try this thing or are you going to step back and when you go to try this thing then this then your brain starts going okay what can we do here where are the risks right now what are your steps have you done anything like this before can you go for this right now right now as it is and then depending on which one i feel is best for me i go for that so the decisions are the most important thing and that comes from that self-talk of okay this brain this part of me saying this this part of me saying this And I have to make the decision between the two as well. And then which one I decide to go with, then I start acting as it is. It also depends, though, what my most recent experiences are and what my mood is that day. Hmm. So my training can very much, and this is something I've been working on a lot, is I go through, it's almost like a wave in my training. So I have waves of, I just feel like I can do anything. I'm flying. Hmm. And then some waves I'll be like, I can't do anything. I really don't feel anything today. So I go through these very much waves and 
depending on where I am, I can just go. I'll just go. I'll jump. And I'm okay with the falling back or the falling forward, but I can let my body go. Sometimes it's almost like I'll tell myself I need to do this and my body, or I'll literally hold myself Mm. back in the middle of the air and it gets very frightening very quickly. So I guess there's no one way of saying it. And that kind of conversation in your brain depends on also how much you're willing to get something compared to how much you're willing to safeguard yourself. Yeah. So I can't exactly answer the question. There's so many different I, things that come into mind. I think you mind. answered it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was a really good answer. Georgia, let's change gears a little bit. And mm-hmm. I'm just kind of personally curious about motion capture and mm-hmm. video games. And I, ha- I haven't played a lot of video games since I rage quit them a while ago. And I, I'm oh, just... rage quit. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend it, but I'm not going to pass judgment. So I'm experienced. <laughs> I rage quit video games. Um, but anyway, what I'm getting at is... The motion capture part of it is really interesting. The the com some of there's like a combination of like the technology, but yet oh sorry, this only works if we actually bring a real human into the process, mm-hmm. and that, that fascinates me. You, you might think that's the boring part. I don't know. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on motion capture and like what your experience was with that, and just share like open up a little bit of that world for us. Mm. So for me, I haven't had I haven't had much uh, experience with motion capture, but. From the experiences I've had, I would say it's definitely a strange one. You're usually in a room with nothing or just something quite, it's very plain. It's a very plain scene for you, but it also, (laughs) it's usually, I'm just thinking of the time when I was covered in baubles. (laughs) It's like little round balls that they stick on you Mm. and stuff. I find it quite strange because you start to almost subconsciously try to make your movement artificial in a way because you know it's for this and you know it's for that and they do want to capture the the movement as it is they don't exactly want you to change it in a certain way or anything like that because obviously it's, it's digitalized and all this but um you feel strange <laughs> compared to moving in your environment now you're in this plain room with everything very plain you also feel kind of Maybe artificial in a way i was gonna say dehumanized yeah yeah, yeah it's kind of strange yeah, I I definitely felt quite weird and I felt like I needed to act more than move, but that that wasn't the case. They just want you to move it's and they move. get it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what there's really not much I could say about it. When yeah. you saw the uh, have you seen the the product of the work? So have you yeah. seen your movement? So when you see the avatar move with your yeah. geometry, is it recognizable you? Like did you look yeah. at it and go that's scoop that's a That was strange. Yeah. So um the avatar obviously it's a mixture of different people. So me and um another athlete called uh Benny, he was we were both doing the parkour movement. So it's almost like um and like our, like our, a Jenny. Oh yeah, it was like our <laughs> made version of it. Um, so it was weird when I saw it. I felt like <laughs> it's so strange because you can see your movement in it. Mm. This this uh, this uh, avatar is moving in the way that you move, even to the point where you're walking and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, that's my that's my hip swing there. Oh, that, that's my roll. Oh, that's Benny's roll. Oh, that's that's my jump there. Uh, <laughs> so it is very exciting to see how much of it they capture. Um, compared to if you just see a random avatar, you're like, oh yeah, okay, cool. You don't really take much attention to it. Like you don't Mm. put much attention to it, but when you see it's a product of kind of your movement as well as others, but you can identify it as well. It's very strange to see yourself in 
as something else or mm, someone else. Yeah, I was super curious to hear what you had to say about that because I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, I'm sure you have, people making eye contact with you at rather large distances. It's patently obvious when somebody is looking directly at you versus like a foot to one side or the other. Yeah. And my hypothesis is that it comes from the predator, you know, our predatorial history. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how that would like subtly trip that like there's um there's a thing called the uncanny valley in robotics so if you have a robot that's just a complete you know machine with basic pivots it doesn't weird anybody out it's clearly a robot mm-hmm. and if you have a perfectly human like robot it's perfectly fine you just you forget that it's a machine and you're like oh it's a human mm-hmm. and then there's this huge space in the middle they call the uncanny valley where it doesn't work at all it starts to be sort of human but it, but it isn't and people are just like no way i ain't getting anywhere near that thing they, like it doesn't work in any capacity and i was wondering like it's definitely that ha- the thing that they've created is going to be on the successful side of the uncanny valley because they basically imaged human beings. But then mm. I'm wondering, I bet that there'd be something in there like a computer manipulated that and then you'd pick up on that. And I have, I've always thought video game geometries have looked a little weird. Yeah. But I was just wondering like, you know, what's it like to see your own persona inside the movement? Mm. So it was interesting to hear how you impact that. Mm. It felt quite personal, I guess, looking at something that was your persona. And did it feel? I mean, did it feel like theft in a way? Almost like, what are you doing with my body? Or is it just like? Because what I don't know is, I've never seen like I've seen video of myself in motion, and yeah. it, I find it horrifying to look. I'm like, oh, my God, don't ever <laughs> like don't do that again. But it's clearly me. Like it's clearly somebody pointed a camera at me, and that's just my fault for letting it happen. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, did you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have? done that or is it just like you're just super proud of the creation Mm. i think for that one in particular it was less of a oh no why did i do that oh that's weird and more of just a i don't know you've kind of felt like it was you but it it isn't you so i had this kind of weird like personal feeling towards it i was like ah, there i am Mm. there i am and um it was what I found strange is obviously depending on the button you click, it suddenly goes into it. It suddenly does that. <laughs> so that was where I was just like, oh, okay, there it is. Oh, there. Like it was quite strange to see that. Hmm. But it felt very much like you're just going, ah, oh, that's me jumping over a cliff. Hmm. Ah, look, there I go. I'm gone now. Uh, <laughs> so it was, is I think for that particular game, it was just less of a feeling of like, hey, hey, that's, that's like a, a feth feeling and more of just a, you felt more attached to it and then you usually would with a like usually when you're in the character you start to play the character and you start to see yourself as it mm-hmm. but it was very much someone else was playing it but it was me moving mm-hmm. but they're pressing the button to make me move and it, yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's a very strange feeling but i don't think it it freaked me out too much with that particular game mm. Georgia, I mentioned in the beginning that you were in Ninja Warrior and it's actually, you've been in multiple different versions of the series. So you've like done testing in New York and you've been to Vegas and you've been to the one in the UK. And um, it's not often that I get a chance to talk to someone who's actually been in that project and had the chance to see it from behind the scenes. I'm wondering if you have any takeaways from it or maybe um, are you going to go back or if you aren't going back, why did you stop? For the show, Mm -hmm. actually in the show. Yeah. <laughs> so Ninja War, I think it was it was season are they on season five now or season six? I can't remember now. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't watch the telly. I can't remember. I think that is a, actually a massive a massive part of what's happened to me in the last two years in terms of 
well, just a big event that happened for me. I think when when I first went for it, I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't really been on TV in that way. So it's always been work-related. I was always just performing. So that's, you had the camera, you couldn't rehearse. It was all there. This is the first time for me going on a show and actually just going and competing. I don't usually do, or I haven't done competitions. In fact, I think it was this a few weeks ago was my first uh, speed comp and that's the first time I've done something with parkour in that sense, a, a competition. So when I was going for it, I was the same idea of like, ooh, something new I want it. <laughs> Give me. So, yeah. Give me now. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I, did it. I was really like surprised that they had contacted me. I was like, oh my God, opportunity. I want to do it. So I discussed with my team. I was like, I really want to go. I really want to go. I'm like, okay, go for it, go for it. So I didn't know what to expect. Um, and when I turned up to the... So they do the casting first, which is they take you through fitness things and stuff like that. I was really nervous. I had to travel a bit like further out of London or I think on the edge of London somewhere. And um, we did these fitness tests. I was really going for it. I was like, oh, this is going to be really tough. Get through it. Then I was waiting. I was waiting. I was like, and that second voice is going, yeah, you probably didn't get it. That's all the strong people. You know it went well, but you probably didn't do it well. And then I got the the email going, yeah, so – You've been shortlisted. And then I got the, yep, so you're definitely going to be on. This is it. So I was really much like so nervous. I didn't know what to expect. And when I went up, I have that. Yeah, I've never been that terrified. (laughs) (laughs) I was so overwhelmed. I just had no idea what that would be like. You're, you're waiting in the room and all these other athletes that some have been on there before and all this kind of stuff. I saw a few familiar faces, which helped. I think Seb was in the first one with the first mm-hmm. time I did it as well. So it was nice to see people, but I was at just least, like, at least yeah. familiar faces. Yeah. So at first, um, they, they show you around the obstacles just so you get a demo of it. Um, and I was just like, Oh, am I touching? Um, so. When I saw the obstacles, I was just like, oh, they're big. They're strange. There's water below. And I'd never been used to obstacles like this. So my first thing was like, oh, God, I have no idea what these feel like, what's going to be like. There's water below. They're really high. It's huge. There's lights everywhere. So I was just like, okay, here comes the fear. Then you sit there and you're waiting and they have the TV up so you can see all the contestants who go first. And it starts from like, yeah, I can't wait to be here. Oh, are you ready, guys? And then it slowly gets more and more nervous and you're watching everyone on the TV and you start to go, okay, loads of people failed on this one. What's going to happen here? Loads of people failed on this one. And you start to just, that TV, goddammit, it's better to not look at the TV sometimes because one, you are getting hints at what you need to focus on or what techniques work and don't. The other is just feeding into the fear of what's going to go wrong or where are you going to fall or things. And then you're waiting around the back and you hear the audience yelling and screaming. The lights are going on and the producers and everything like that. Just so much goes on. And then the assistant will come up and be like, you're next. I'm getting nervous right now because I remember exactly what it feels like. You get the knots in your stomach, start to feel sick. So you're going up, you're going up the steps now, and everyone's yelling, and they're like, Georgia Monroe, and you're like, oh, (laughs) And I was just thinking, I don't want to go now. Can I just go? (laughs) But it's too late. You go up, and your mind kind of goes blank. And I, the first time I was, it was such a blur. I think my stage fright was so big. As soon as the, the boop, boop, 
beep, beep. I was just like, go. And I think I held my breath for God knows how long. I get to the last one. And I remember getting off the platform. I finally got to like the fifth obstacle on the course. Everything was a blur this whole time. There's just lights and things to grab and you just jump and you get there. And then I stopped. As soon as I landed, I just went to throw up. Like, I didn't throw up, luckily, but I just went, <laughs> and I stayed there. I was like, oh, my God. And I felt so dizzy, felt so sick. Everything was just, it was really, really uh, terrifying. And then I got to the last obstacle. I just went straight on it. I was just like, okay, just go, just go. And it was something I'd never seen before. I think it was um ring toss to, like, a slider. So you mm. slide down the rings. But I'd never done the movement before. And I remember getting to the second peg, and I was like, oh, what, what what is this movement? Why can't I get over the top of this thing? And then I start to freak out because mm. the whole time I'd be autopilot, but then I got stopped. So now I was just like, oh no, I'm pumping out. And then, then the only thing I could think of is, okay, what would I do if I was in parkour? I'd, I'd swing. <laughs> so I tried to swing, but it's not the same. So I bounce off and go into the ball and then everything relaxes. And I was like, okay, that's me. I'm out. I didn't win. I mean, like I didn't get to the buzzer, should I say. And I was like, okay, okay, it's done. It's done. So I start relaxing and just letting the kind of all these fears and stuff flood out. And it's very relieving to me in the pool. And then I think I can go home. So I, I go home. Like I was slightly disappointed, but at the same time, I was just happy to be off that terror. <laughs> and then I get an email and it's like, oh yeah, you're through to the next round. And I was like, oh no. no, no. <laughs> so I, it was both a like, oh really? And also just, a, oh God, I've got to relive that. And then I guess I decided after, like I told my team, I was like, I felt so horrible. I felt sick. It was horrible. I just, just terrified. And they told me, you know, try to this time make that goal just to be relaxed in it. So when it came to the second time, that's what I made the decision to do this time was to relax or try to relax. So the second time I went on the stage, again, the yelling, the cameras in your face, it's hot out there. You're feeling, you're feeling nervous. And I remember just standing there. I was like, okay, my goal isn't to get to that buzzer anymore. I don't know these obstacles again. Everything's new. But what I can control is what I'm looking at, what I'm taking in. And I started to look around at the crowd. I started to look at the cameras this time. Before, I was trying to avoid them. I was looking away. I was just trying to look at the course. So this time I looked. And for the first time in that experience, when I went, when the, you know, the sound went off, I started going. Each point I got to, I stopped, but not to catch my breath and try and go again and this nervousness. Mm. I stopped to look around. And it was the strangest feeling. Before I felt terrified of the crowd, everything was almost like an attack on my senses. And this time it was more encouraging. I looked around at the crowd and they were going, yes, come on, you can do it, and all these kind of things. Hmm. And then I started to feel good. It was really weird. I was like, huh, yeah, look at the people. They're right there. Hey, oh, thank you. Yeah. And the camera's there. I was like, okay, whatever. The camera's on in my way. Let's think this through. And then... I think I came off at the wind chimes, which is the fifth again. Thought again, yeah, all right. I'm ha I was happy with myself because I relaxed this time and I enjoyed it. So I was like, yeah, I won't go on. That'll be it. It'll be fine now. And then I got through again. <laughs> so I was like, okay, now this is just ridiculous. <laughs> so I was just like, you know what, whatever. It, like by the third point, because I kept going, oh, all right, all right, I'm happy now. I was just like, I'm just going to have fun now. So it changed from like try to relax and enjoy it to just have fun. Right. And I did, and I got through, and I finally got up to the frigging wall, and I pressed the buzzer, and I was like, yeah, and I high-fived the things, and then I just got on the log, and I fell off. 
<laughs> and I just remember swimming through the pool like, yeah, I'm happy today. Um, so it was a really like, it went from one of the most terrifying things I've done or most terrifying kind of like uh, experiences to just this kind of relaxed feeling, like so nice and just enjoying that. And it's always, no matter what, because um, I went to America as well, huge stage. So they're like the obstacles are massive, size. but that it was almost a training in itself of, I don't usually, I'm not usually going there to try and get to the end. I need to do this. I'm always terrified of these obstacles, but it's always now become the thing of when I'm there, it's just to kind of just relax into it, try and take in what's going on for you. And it's an excellent place to just give yourself to the obstacle and just go. Because if you don't, if you half-ass, you're going in the pool and you don't really want to go in the pool and get cold and wet. So you go. (laughs) But um, yeah, behind the scenes is terrifying too. (laughs) You just wait. You wait for that one time to go on there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I kind of just told a story then, didn't I? Georgia, is there anything else that you want to talk about? I know we haven't gotten to Esprit de Concrete and we haven't gotten to coaching and a couple of other things we haven't gotten to. Mm. I think it would be a nice one to talk a bit about coaching and kind of my experience as well with my team. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> so would you like to talk about coaching? Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's been, wait, how, how many years? So this year was, well, I can proudly say now I've passed the tests and I'm a level two coach. So, <laughs> so uh, it's definitely a big year for me this year. Um, and we have a lot of workshops coming up and workshops that have happened already, but it has been something that, well, I've always, I've always enjoyed performing. I've always loved to perform and do things like stunts or do video games or motion capture and things like this. Coaching has been a journey on its own. (laughs) Before I used to think coaching was quite simple. You just, you get on with it. I've been around a lot of coaches and I think, oh yeah, yeah, that's good. You can do it. And assistant coaching, you can easily just tap into things and add. Um, That's not the case. (laughs) That is so not the case. Um, With performing, it is very much about yourself in that sense, you may work with a team and things like this, and especially in stunts, um, usually you have a stunt group and it's much more team based. But in a lot of performance jobs, it's been about you. You do it, you get your job done, you know what you can do, you know your limits. Coaching is so much more. It's you no longer. It's no longer about you. You have these these other practitioners who come to you who want to learn something from you and want to learn something about themselves, or at least I hope. So now you've got to think about who are these people? They have their own lives. They have their own experiences. They have their own limitations, their own fears, all these kind of things that you've been managing for, you know, you've, you've had other people managing for you or you've been managing yourself and or, should I say. But now you are in that position to do that for someone else. And it's a fear on its own of how do I help this person what do they need right now? Can I give that to them? Am I the person that can actually help them right now? Do they want that help? In the assistant coaching I did before I was with Esprit Concrete, it was very much about technique. You ask any practitioner, they know that there's a mental side to it and there's a uh, there's a physical side to training. And these two things go hand in hand. We have a lot of mental obstacles and we have a lot of physical obstacles in our, our uh, training. 
but the the general way of uh, coaching parkour has been mostly on the physical side. What's the technique? You teach them this, blah, blah. And you can still help them with the mental side, but it never had quite as much focus on it. And then when, so Yao was my mentor when I first started. He took me in and he trained me up. And then when him and Kasturi made SB Concrete, I joined them. I wanted to go with my mentor. And that's rare. I really start to understand or start to learn what a, 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 a coach should be or what a coach should value in, in their training as a coach or how they should value their students, how they should help them. And we focus a lot more on the mental aspect of it as well. So I start to meet students that I'd never would have met before. Um, we've worked with all sorts. We've worked with charities. We've worked with different students of all sorts. Uh, there's so many to speak about. And it's, it has been a whole new education on its own for me because it also changed the way I thought about myself or how I managed myself. Um, seeing so many similarities and, and struggle in the struggles and the fears that students had, it gave me motivation to work on these things myself. Because if I couldn't manage it myself, if I couldn't face that fear myself, how could I help that student do it? It mm-hmm. felt, it didn't feel right. And this is something I came to understand is that to, to help your student, you also need to be able to help yourself and manage yourself. And also you can't do the two in the session. So you need to be managing yourself at your own point in order to make sure that student gets what they need in that session. And you're not part of that, but you're there to help. You can offer that. Um, and it required a lot of self-reflection. There's been times where I've come back from a session, I've cried because I'm just like, Oh, what about like we discussed it. Like, I can't believe I've done this. Like what I haven't helped this way. And this didn't work. And there's also a lot of self-reflection on myself of, wow, there's so much I need to work on. And these habits come into place and I want to be, good coach for these uh, for our students Mm -hmm. so it has been a lot of self-reflection and a lot of pushing in the sense of one to push for the anxiety so I get very uh, get a lot of anxiety or I have a lot of anxiety especially when having to focus on on a big group or being in front of a big group which is kind of strange for performing but (laughs) yeah um so I had to battle that anxiety and manage that in order to think clearly and then in order to then help my students or be there for my students when they needed me. And then it went from assistant coaching to being trained to be a lead coach. And that was another huge step. The assistant coach, I always had my mentor, or I had Kasturi or another coach, depending on where we were, who was the head coach. I could assist, I could add to the pieces, but I could feed off of them. And I knew that they were the main like they were the main people in charge or in response uh, had the responsibility of the group. So when we start, when they start training me for a lead coach, then there was a whole new wave of anxiety. I'm like, okay, now I need to think about my class. I'm, I'm planning the classes now. I need to think, what do I want to work on? What's the theme today? What are my students like? Which ones are coming? What do they have with them? What habits, what fears, how can I battle these? Mm-hmm. Um, or how can I help them manage these? What can I teach them? And then for that to happen, I also then had to self-reflect on, okay, what do I usually do? Is this helpful? What can I do to make this more helpful? So it was a huge, huge, um, and it was a really long kind of journey. Last year, I went for level two, and I failed. I failed the coaching, and I failed the uh, written assessment. Written one, I just freak out because I guess I'm not great with tests, let's just say. But the coaching one, it exposed a huge flaw in or a huge thing that I needed to work on, which was 
finding how to manage my anxiety so I could actually act in the moment. So I was always, because I was so self-doubtful, I had to plan everything. I had to be in control of everything. And that was even in movement. I needed to be in control. I needed to have these habits in place, mm -hmm. like make sure this is right. I need to check everything. So when I couldn't do that, because what happened was we got kicked off the spot we were supposed to be coaching. <laughs> really annoying. <laughs> so it's just like, right, well, you still got to teach a 30 minute session. Right. Go. Move. So I was like, oh my God. And even though I did manage to teach the session, it was very clear for, and it was, um, I think it was Chris who was, he was doing the, he was the level two um, instructor observer. Lovely, right. Yeah. So it was very clear for him to see just how much the anxiety and the self-doubt affected me. And it was very clear because that also then feeds to the students. If your lead coach is not confident in themselves and you can see they're scared or worried or not sure, or not in the moment, it affects the students. So it wasn't just what you give to them, but it's also how you acted as a person with them because they see you as the leader. So I, then we spent the year working on that aspect of it'll be like okay i'll get to the session thinking i'm assisting and then yeah i'll be like you're leading the class today <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh no what do i do and it used to be like okay uh, i gotta think about this but what if i do this where can we go what can we do? Mm. all these like little thoughts of what could go wrong happen but um we kept going we kept going we kept going and there's been some really tough ones where the class didn't go well and i really freaked out and i was just like oh what have i done i can't do this um and there's other times where I, you know, I proved to myself, ah, actually I can lead this. This is fine. I feel comfortable in this position. And then it got to this year and we were like, okay, so are you going to be retaking? When is this happening? Um, and then I checked up. I was like, I was really, really procrastinating. I kept thinking, oh, let me just get on with my other tasks. We have these other things. Maybe later on in the year, I'll retry, I'll retry. And I kept pushing it back, kept pushing it back. And one of the other coaches who did the level two with me, um, he also failed as well last year. And then he messaged me out. I can't remember when. He was just like, hey, G, how's it going? How's everything going? Blah, blah, blah. Guess what? I did it again. I've done it. I've got my level two and stuff. Mm. And I was like, oh, he's already taken the opportunity. And it made me think like, wow, they're, they're already going for it and he's just succeeded now. Where am I? I'm, I haven't tried again. I'm still too freaked out to go for it and it's that fear of failure. I don't want to fail again. I don't want to prove again to myself that I'm not good enough for that role. So it was very much this kind of like, okay, okay. And then one day it was just like, all right. I just went on it. I was like, there's one in, okay, there's one now. Apply. Click. <laughs> Click. And then, uh, <laughs> but I think, this time it was very much, I'd seen the difference between what hard work could do and what talent could do. So before I relied a lot on talent and that's why I could, I picked up things quite easily. That's not because I worked hard for them. It's because I, I was a, a talent, a multi-talented or whatever you call it. You pick up skills easily. So I used my talent a lot. I'm naturally powerful. So I go for those kind of things. Like it was a very much relying on the natural talents I had or the natural intuition. But when it became the point where I needed to work for the new skills or work for the new thing, I usually just backed off or went somewhere or stayed there. So very much a part of that training. And I used to hate it sometimes. I used to be like, oh, why am I getting so like <laughs> freaking so much critics? Like it was just lots of stuff. It's because that's what hard work is. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's this like kind of putting in hours and hours in the ordain. You're thinking, what the hell am I doing? I want to go train, but I need to do all this work. And mm -hmm. it's like, 
all these kind of like lesson plans. I was like, I felt so tired. And I was like, where is this going? Like, I'm not seeing immediate results. What's happening? But we yeah. kept going. We kept going. And it really, it was a huge, a huge event in the sense of it finally showed me, okay, when you work for something and you really just go for it and you live more in the process of actually those hours you got in the day, those those little minutes you have in the day. Um, and I started to try and get up earlier as well. Uh, so that was another thing. Yao set me like a morning run. Mm-hmm. So I used to get up at, I would get up at 7.30, do my morning run, start doing conditioning, do these kind of things. And started getting into that habit rather than the habit of procrastinating and putting things off to the end. I started trying to work hard in the sense of we have these things. I get these done before I enjoy my day. I get these things done before I go and do whatever I like. Right. Priorities. Yeah. The more stuff where you're just like, Oh, I don't want to do this, but it paid off. And I was, I remember the last, the two weeks coming up to it. I just remember studying every day. I was trying to study, 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 went through the, uh, level two book. Other friends were like, Oh, don't worry. It'll be easy. It'll be fine. They're like, come nope, relax. Nope, I was like, no, 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 no going to no, keep no. going. I'm going to keep going. And then start pestering. Yeah. I was like, okay, let me lead this class this week. I'm going to lead this class this week. I'm going to lead this class this week. And even when I had a, I had a bad class, the first one where I did it, I felt really ashamed. I was like, Oh, I can't do it. Like, this is a bad class. What am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to, but we kept going, we kept going. And then I tried to actually, and I wrote down this time, I wrote down what did I do well? And instead of the negatives where usually I use that to just say, that's how bad you are. I used them in the sense of, I wrote down what was negative. Then I wrote down how to make it better. And I just kept that. And then I kept doing it for each lesson I did. And I kept going, yeah, give me feedback. Yeah, give me feedback. I need feedback. Um, and talking to Kasturi and being like, look, I felt this way. What, like, these are the things that I need to do to manage, right? And I started to try and trust in that more and more. And then when it came to the day of the the coaching assessment, we thought, so last time it was, you know your spot, you plan and you do that. Mm. We got there. I had, Two days before that, I went to the spot twice so I could check out and I was checking all the areas and like, I'll do this, I'll do that. And I had like a few class plans. We get there and he's like, okay, so we're going to move over there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so we're not in this area. So I freaked out again. I was like, oh God, I planned and it's not working. But all the stuff that I did still came into play. They were like, okay, you get an hour to check the area, whatever you want to do. Um, and then when you're ready, it's your time. And I remember getting to the spot and I was like, okay, I don't have a class plan for this. And I spent 10 minutes and it was just like, okay, I'm going to teach this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to check my area. And I talked to myself a bit. I was like, okay, uh, sometimes it's um, easy for me to talk out how the plan is. So I went over it twice, twice. And I just felt really calm. I knew what I was going to do and it it just felt like auto mode, but not in the sense of I don't know what was going on. It was just like, huh. This is like class. We've we've been teaching. I've been teaching. I've been leading. And those kind of experiences all came into that one point. And when it was my time, I was just like, You ready, Chris? Ready? <laughs> I think it was Dan Timms as all of us. I can't remember. Um I was like, Yep, okay, clock. Right, guys. So we're gonna <laughs> And it was just a brilliant 30 minutes. I kept the time right. I was like, yeah, okay, there's the time. Made sure I talked about this, all this stuff. I invested in, okay, these are the people I have. And I could give personal feedback. And it was just such a lovely moment of, as soon as I started, I knew I was all right. Before I was like, what do I do? Where's this? I didn't care that there was someone, I completely forgot about them being there. In fact, it was just teaching. And I just focused on the students and they were my priority. Um, and nothing else mattered. 
except from the time, which I'd check sometimes. <laughs> and then I remember after that, then it was nervous. And then we were going to the other students and stuff like that. And they were doing their classes. And I felt nervous for them because we knew each other. And then at the end of the day, they're like, okay, so you're going to sit over here. We went to Starbucks. We we're sitting around. And um, the two coaches over there, and like, we'll call you up one by one and let you know the results. And um, I, one person went before me, I think. And then, Georgia, come over here. So now I'm really freaky. <laughs> okay okay here we go I felt so good but is it right the the second voice is going oh was it okay though um and I as soon as I sat down I remember just and he went yeah you passed go home I was like (laughs) and I remember just staring blankly at him he was like you're not gonna have any reaction or you're just gonna (laughs) just like what (laughs) and I think it's like a good two minutes passed before I actually took it in I was like yes yes I was just like ah It was, yeah, it was amazing because in that moment, it was just, it was finally like, okay, you listen to that voice that doesn't tell you everything's going to be like, oh, it's all going to go wrong. Just put it off, put it off. Don't think about it. It was the voice of like, you don't want to put in the work, do it. You don't want to get up early, do it. You don't want to do the run. It's raining, it's cold or it's snowing, do it. And it's just like, I was so happy, really proud of myself, but also grateful for everyone who had actually helped me in that process like everything just kind of came into that point and I thought I'd cry but I didn't I was just relaxed (laughs) so I think yeah that was (laughs) it was a big turning point but also I didn't feel like okay because I've got it now I'm a good coach it still very much feels like the journey is going but yeah it it showed me just what hard work can do compared to just relying on skill and talent and also the the kind of true pride that comes with that and the kind of gratefulness that you feel from that kind of thing. So I think coaching has taught me more than performing could ever have taught me. Performing's fun, but coaching has taught me so much about what it means to give and take from someone, what it means to reflect on yourself and the actual hard work it takes to be that kind of role model for Mm. someone or to be able to give to someone first. You have to work so much on yourself. So as much as it is about giving to others, it's such a personal journey as well. Um, yeah, so that's why, <laughs> yeah, but that's coaching for me, I think. And of course the final question, three words to describe your practice. Mm, struggle. <laughs> yes. Struggle. Um, love. I know it sounds cheesy, but love, not in the sense of just loving yourself, but also the love I've found in it, the people, the actual the community of people I've met. There's a lot of people that I've met that you just feel like I've met so many people with so many connections, but I've made a family through it. I've I've had a partner through it. I've had some of my best friends through it. Um, So love is definitely something I've found. And then the third word, and this is more so to describe the sensation I feel when I let myself be, is flying. (laughs) Uh, It's a word that sometimes comes up a lot when we're trading and stuff like that or when someone we'll be talking about a movement or a jump I'm doing. And it's like, I look back and you're like, ah, I feel like I'm flying. And it's not the sense of just, it's because I've done a big jump or something like that. But when you feel that kind of, that feeling of you are you, you've decided to do something, you're going for it and you've let yourself go in it. You feel like you're flying. Okay. Goosebumps saying that now. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the feeling. So yeah. Struggle. It's always a struggle. You always find the struggles. Love in the people that you've met as well as learning to love yourself through those struggles and then flying is the feeling when I let myself be in that moment and I let myself go and I just go with what I have. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you very much, Georgia. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This was episode 58. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 58. And there's more to the Movers Mindset Project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content, to join our email list, or to read about how you can support this project. And I'll leave you with a final thought from Oscar Wilde. True friends stab you in the front. Thanks for listening.